This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hi there, and welcome to today's Teachers Talk Radio with me, Brent Poland. Sorry for a little bit of delay there. News technical gremlins were having a little fun with us as always. So uh, today we're going to talk about well-being, well happiness, and and are our kids happy in school? With me, Adam. Yeah, so uh, major reports this week out around happiness, so we'll be diving deep into that. So tune in and talk it out. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So uh, what we'd like to do is we're going to start with a little uh, with a little clip and um, one of um, the things I, I've seen recently is I've seen that um, parents were reflecting on their, their their happiness that they had at school because we tend to do that as adults don't we? we look we look back and sometimes we can look back with those rose tinted glasses at those halcyon days and, and how our life is different as and as a parent you do that as well and you think you know uh, there's a really really cruel cool cartoon series the one called Bluey and I mean I want to be that dad in, in Bluey. He, he, I know he's a dog. He's an anthropological dog. I got that right. Well um, anthropological. Anthropological. <laughs> you can do it. Anthropomorphized dog. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah. Um, and and basically they, they are the, the parents of the of parents of the future, and they're absolutely fantastic as parents. And and and, and one of the clip, one of my favorite episodes of that TV show is uh, where they refer to it's not the eighties, and that's become a bit of a, a catchphrase in our household of. Dad, it's not the 80s. And I'm like, oh, there's a really good episode where Lucky's Dad's Rules, where everybody wins and pass the parcel. And I can't get my head around past the parcel these days because everybody has to get a prize. It's a bit like the sports day when everybody has to win. And I I just, I can't get my head around everybody winning and everybody getting a prize. Because for me, one of the things I enjoyed the most about in school was winning the 100 metres or doing well in sport or actually achieving. And, 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 And I suppose that's me having the perception of what I had. And perception of the world that is now and lamenting and, and looking back and we do tend to do that as adults but this news report this this news article was saying that i think 44 percent of, of people look back and the fondest memories of school was the school trips and it's almost like a carry-on school trip and you sort of think about the school trips that people used to have on the dusty old remember those old those old buses yeah. with the dusty seats and they had the, um, the cigarette, what do you call it? The, um, the ashtrays. The ashtrays. ashtrays and sometimes the ashtrays weren't empty. And yeah. they're on those buses. And maybe it was used the other night for the, the bingo ladies. Mm. And, and you'd had, you know, literally the seats would be dancing with dust. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They had a certain smell. And of course, they had um, a certain look about them. And it always made you feel as if you were in a carry-on movie when you get on those coaches to go to Newcastle, the seaside. I remember going up to, to Newcastle, go to the slot machines. I remember going to the Giants Causeway couple of hours in the buses up to the Giants Causeway which was amazing and, and there I am thinking about school trips that I had nearly 40 years ago now yeah. that's mental but it's true what you're saying there that 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 news report says that so we thought we'd play a, a little interesting clip um yeah, about so, school yeah school so, trips. so we're going to this just came I don't know why my, my daughters have just recently found uh, bad education uh, but I think it kind of links perfectly in. So the the, the, general, the theme today really is about happiness in schools and what made you happy at schools and are children happy today? 
built and that's not playing. So I've just, uh, yeah, so the, the, whole, the whole theme today is about kind of, um, you know, are children happy in school? Well, evidence is starting to suggest no. Well, the evidence is, is, is quite a mixed bag because it's separating out what well, you deem. We have worms. I spent all morning fishing this out of a weasel. It's an epidemic. Uh, everything's got them. So remember, it's a look but don't touch policy. Uh, but a private dance can be arranged later. I'm joking. We have to stop doing that. So, uh, Cubs and uh, girls, uh, have you got any questions about animals? Sir, I really need to talk to you. Not now, Chantel. The boring man is talking. Okay, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if I look back at some of my trips, it's almost like the worse the better. <laughs> How boring. It's like there's like a. It pulled you together as a group, didn't it? That, that kind of memory as you got back to the classroom, oh yeah, remember that, remember what I said there. I don't remember how kind of weird that guy was or how weird that trip was. And as you say, like the, the bus, the whole journey, um, the, the people who had their whole lunch within the first 10 minutes of the of the bus journey and kind of yak down the, the whole, the, whole the, the corridor of the bus was kind of ridiculous. Oh, they were cringe and that was the whole thing, but you had a shared experience, yeah. you had a, a memory. But, but I'm looking back at my own teaching career now, nearly two decades, and, and again, I would say that looking at my, my sort of um, experiences, I've had some fantastic school trips, and, 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 and I usually tutor children for five years, so I take them in year seven, and I go away with them on a retreat. Year eight, I go on activity week up to the Lake District, where I chuck them down a mine, and you know, do some gorge scrambling. Um, basically, I'm in my element, you know, as an outdoor geography type of person, I'm, I'm literally scrambling up walls uh, and climbing and, and quarries and watching the children sort of challenge themselves and you do gorge scrambling. And some of the happiest memories, yeah, it's fantastic, some of the happiest memories there when you have a child who's, who's screaming at the top of a mountain that they can't abseil down 30 feet and they spend two hours sort of, you know, getting themselves you know, up for it and you're encouraging them down. And even to the point where I climb down and sort of come back up myself and, and then sort of well, I'll walk you down. Um, and literally when you get to the bottom they walk and go again and there's those glorious moments when you see children challenge themselves I was going to say is that is the happiness coming from the challenge there? The happiness is coming we, from we hear, the we, we hear a lot about kind of challenge in the classroom yeah. a lot don't we but, um, but when, ch when children when they, when they do an activity that they didn't want to do or uh, is, is it right then here's a question is it right to kind of force kids to push themselves a little bit further? Oh absolutely yeah. it's, it's one of my flaws but also I'd say it's one of my strengths as a teacher, I, I, I break down barriers, don't I? I? I don't like it when a child says they can't do it. I don't like when a child values himself a lot more than I value them. And that's part of our job is to, is to get more out of them, um, to know there's more there and to get more out of them, to get release that potential. And I think one of the ways to do that, and, and I think anecdotally from my own experiences, even from myself personal satisfaction as a teacher, I gained a lot more sometimes out of the field, out educating in the wider world than I have, and, and, and that's why I run expeditions. I've taken two school groups through an organization called World Challenge, 
um, which I did myself as an 18 year old. I went off to South America when I was 18, it changed my life, changed the world. I learned so much on that one trip, you know, so much about myself, uh, so much about my abilities, leadership abilities, things, things that I needed to work on as well, uh, how I worked with others. Um, but it was, it was interesting, I got, a, I got a reference recently from the people who left a couple of years ago for Camp America. And they're going to be a young person who wants to work in Camp America. And they, they sent this reference through. And I was like, why is this ex pupil of mine asking me for a reference when I haven't seen them in about four or five years? And of all the people in between their education, it's obvious because, again, that's one of those people I took to an expedition to Swaziland, to South, South, South Africa. And obviously, when I was looking at this, the, the sort of competencies and skills of being like a Camp America young person, some of that was exactly what they had done when I challenged them to go off and be a little youth leader in South Africa and work with you know children in places like that. And that's the enrichment activity. That's We go back to the cultural capital thing about having those opportunities to learn, not just in a classroom, and then what is the function of learning. But it is so obvious that happiness, if I say now to a lot of children, when they leave in year 11 and they draw up all their memories, and they talk about a time when like this and a time when like that, they usually hit when it's not inside the classroom yeah. when they're learning a lesson. It's usually their free time that they have or on a school trip or when you're doing a pantomime or when you're doing a play or when they get up on stage and deliver an assembly. It's usually everything else but being in the classroom, isn't it? Yeah, but it's also supported by research. We, we found a piece uh, this week in the Express and the Mirror about uh, nearly half of parents um, whose children are now in school say that school trips are the most cherished memories from their education and 44% feel nostalgic about their trips outside the classroom. Um, so there's, there's been some research into this. Uh, two in five of the 1600 parents polled admitted they still talk about various excursions from their childhood. So yeah, so, so it kind of does bring in that nostalgic, yeah. what made me happy at school um, and so, so do you think we're kind of, well, I guess the question is, are we failing kids by not doing more of this? Is there, what, what's preventing this essentially? Because I think you speak to teachers, they would say they want to do more of this. So what's the health and safety culture, bureaucracy, overworked, overloaded teachers, lack of stability. You know, if you're going to invest in a school trip, you need a teacher to run that school trip and be in a school trip for a long time. Yeah. So we have, for instance, if, you know, we, we take kids on a skiing trip and that skiing trip was always dependent upon long-standing members of staff who had the sort of, what, what they call it, the setup. Yeah. Um, another one was the Battlefields trip, and that was my, my old colleague, the head of history, who used to run a Battlefields trip to, to Belgium and Ypres. And again, he had the, he had the, 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 the sort of the trip around itself because he had built up the connections, the, the coach company, they, you know, he knew what he was doing. And I think in schools now, which are quite transient and, and staff are leaving, they're taking that, that kind of those school trips with them. But now people do, do a lot of teachers want to invest the time in it when they're so overworked. And when I think about 20 years, you know, I started 20 years ago, we used to invest a lot more time into school productions. We, we used to run pantomimes. And those pantomimes were, I would work with the children. And I forget the head boy, uh, myself, were playing two different characters opposite each other. And he gets to know the staff members playing, you know, a character, and and, it, and it's, it's 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 quite amazing when you're sharing a stage or singing music. You're up on stage, you know, um, delivering songs with the children when they're playing your backing tunes, 
I mean, again, do you have the time to stay behind after school? And that, that's the thing. When I was, when we were doing those pantomimes, we all stayed behind after school as cast members for weeks on end. But then our marking load wasn't, you know, we didn't have marking deadlines, bureaucracy. We just had the time. Yeah. And there seems to be a lot less time now. So, so is that, it's, it's the erosion of time from the teacher to actually, A, organise it. Because there's nothing wrong with, to take health and safety, for example. We need health and safety. We're not kind of saying that we shouldn't be doing. Well, right, I'm, I'm going to tell you that I rode on top of a bus in Ecuador in, 19, <laughs> in 1996 with completely no health and safety and somehow survived. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of health and safety, do not get me wrong. But we are in a bureaucratic world now. And also, we, we are in a world now where parents are, let's just say, more difficult. They are more difficult. They're less trusting. They're more difficult. They're more demanding. My child has this dietary requirement, that dietary requirement. And, and you're running a school trip sometimes, you're thinking, I'm volunteering for this. I think there's a little bit of that. Yeah, I think people have forgotten the well, fact that, that where the teacher's job stops. Well, we're not and parents. Actually, and actually then we're kind of doing something outside of our working well, hours to well, actually facilitate extra learning. I, I never forget. It was, a new, it was a couple of years ago now and this is why I sort of changed my mind on this, is that, you know, you, you, get, it, you get kids off a coach, you, you've given them a, a great experience, and it's funny how many parents wait behind them to run and go, yeah, thank you for taking my child away, thank you for looking yeah. after yeah. And some do, do not get me wrong, some do, but there's just an assumption by some people, and you sort of think to yourself, and, and don't get me wrong, I've got a really great relationship with the majority of parents that I've built up over years, when I take those children off to, to Nepal and, and to places like Swaziland with World Challenge, those parents are trusting me with their children to take them around on an expedition. It has a sense of danger in it, but it is all well managed and it's all very well organised. But still, I'm, I'm conscious of that and we, we are sure they. But at the same time, they know the commitment I'm making. I'm leaving my family for a week during the summer holidays and I'm going there basically to look after and help their children. But as I said to the parents, what I see there as a teacher is what I'd love them to see, the, the growth, the development, that the happiness, I, I, I can say this, there's one child in particular who's, um, his brother's going to go on an expedition under us. He went shy lad and he was playing football in Swaziland on a ragtag pitch full of rocks, is all I can describe it, with an old leather ball with, you know, I don't even think it was a game of football, it was just basically a bunch of lads from Africa and a bunch of lads from Britain just kicking an object around it yeah. on a completely oblong pitch and, and literally watching this young lad smile on his face this is priceless and even now you're thinking about it I'm going like and that was me I sat there with one of the village elders and uh, with a smile on my face and he made me a cup of tea and he says you've got really nice children and I looked at him and says you've got really nice children and it was a moment where we both admired the fact that both sets of children completely alien to each other yeah. were bonding over the fact that they were playing a game of football and our children had come over to help their children build a classroom and that was the genius thing about it was, is that experience now, the parents, when they see me, every parent seems, they are always, thank you for what you did to my, for my son. Thank you for what you did. You know, you've changed, has changed his experiences in life. But I'll be honest with you, those things are happening a lot less because they are more difficult. And even now I'm, 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 I'm thinking to myself, can I fit in another expedition? Do I have the time to do training? Do I have the time to do fundraising? I'm overloaded as it is. And yet, I have to say to myself, that is one of the one of the key things that I've enjoyed in my last 10 years of, of what has been difficult the last couple of years, was that just before COVID, that last expedition. Um, and the member staff who've done the first one with, the, with me is no longer with the school. 
this, this member staff that did the second one with us was completely converted into it. You know, he, he, he saw exactly the change and the development that the students had in that intense experience of two weeks of, of traveling and two weeks of finding themselves, two weeks of, you know, um, the smile. I never forget, we arrived in Nepal and a couple of, a couple of, one of the girls in particular who's never been in a plane before. And there she was, you know, going through a tuk-tuk ride in the middle of in the middle of Kathmandu, yeah. and I'm like, I just kept saying to her, "You know, we're not in Kansas any longer, Dorothy." And it was literally the smile on her face was just absolutely priceless. Where is she now? She's over in, in living in, in I think Seoul. So the confidence she got from there started off in a journey, and that's the thing that's happened. You know, our children do have sometimes have an excellent experience, but I don't think it's universal, and I think it depends upon. I think the goodwill, and this is the thing, the goodwill of individual teachers yeah, that's right. to pay it in as a vocation. But now many don't have, let's not say they don't have the goodwill, they just don't have the time. And the, and the trips are a really intensive thing to organise, bureaucratic nightmare, a logistical problem. And then when you've got, you know, difficult parents and difficult children sometimes, you say to yourself, is this really worth it? You know, and I, I can't, I can't blame some teachers for saying themselves. I used to run school trips, but I, I can't, I can't be, I can't be doing them any longer because the hassle is just not worth the payback. I still think the hassle is worth the payback, and it's why I still invest in them. But I can see there's less and less. Yeah, yeah. So this, as I said, the, the reason this conversation has come about today is because those reports uh, released earlier on in the week called the uh, State of the Nation 2022. Um, looking at uh, children and young people's uh, well-being. It was research uh, done by the uh, DOB and uh, it brings together a range of published information from government, academic, voluntary, private sector organisations to provide clear narrative uh, for those interested in the well-being of children um, and young people uh, in England. Um, so they do have some kind of key, key findings. Um, the, the big one for me was about how many how many students actually feel safe and so how many children actually feel happy at school and the headline figure there ultimately was that only 15% um, did feel happy um, so that was the shock for me um, because that was the big kind of headline takeaway uh, from that so they had lots of measures uh, within it um, do you want to take a few yeah so the, the sleep problems were more prevalent in older children than younger children specifically young women um anecdotally i know that's a lot of TikToking, a lot of um 24 7 communications with mobile phones all night long conversations chat rooms it's just don't stop they just their sleep patterns are all over the place um children in in year six is consistently higher and more likely to be obese than those in reception age rates of obesity among year sixes remain higher than before the pandemic so what's going on with our older primary school children, our younger primary school children are out playing, playing, playing. The older ones just seem to not be playing as much. And funny, when I asked a bunch of year sevens recently, and year eights, and I did this, just anecdotally, again, I said, you know, what, what clubs and societies are you in school? What activities are you involved in school? And what sports are you playing? The drop-off rate is massive. And, yeah. and then I asked who, who was a member of the Sea Scouts? Who was in the, the Cubs? Who was a member of the, the, the Cadets? who was in the um, Rainbows, who was in a riding club, a football club, a sports club, and going through all of that. And a lot of the children by that age, 10 or 11 years old, have gone through a lot of clubs and societies and a lot of different sort of sporting things, but it doesn't seem to stick. No. 
just, seemed, just seemed to get... drop off about yeah. kind of 11, 12 years old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we've got the same thing with, with our daughter. We've got a younger daughter who's very still into it. So an older daughter that started to kind of move away from that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know the reason for that. I don't know why that might be. I mean, maybe it's, it's just with secondary school, you just get used to a different pattern of life. Um, as I said, my, my daughter's primary school, they had outdoor classrooms. They were outdoors all the time. Yeah. They had like um, you know, reading and you know, play and ex- experiments and everything was done outside, especially in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know whether that's carried on in secondary school, maybe it's just... Uh, uh, but I often wonder why there seems to be such a difference between primary school and secondary school. It, it, it really does kind of baffle me that uh, we have this, we have almost like two tiers of education and they don't really kind of talk or interlink. I mean, the only thing they pass up is this weird SAT information. Uh, which is really, so gamed and so, so false. So gamed now and, and false. And, and so sort of like engineered. Yeah. I mean, you know that. It's so engineered. Well, even the primary schools themselves don't really kind of want to do it, do they? They kind no. of play lip service to it. Um, those schools that have started the exam factory style SATs have been pretty much kind of, you know, almost warned by after to kind of stop that, haven't they? Well, my parents even recently, my, 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 my oldest child, they were telling me about how, how ready they are to do exams and everything else. And I looked at the teacher and I went, I'm sorry, but that's not my priority. Yeah. That's not my priority. That's your priority. And they understood. They know I'm a teacher. Going, is she happy? Yeah. Is she enjoying learning? Is she social? Is she, you know, is she behaving herself? You know, is she doing work when you ask her to do it? Is she asking questions? Those are the things I was asking the teacher. But she was so, she was so schooled towards like, oh no, no, she's getting ready for the exam, the product, the end result. That it did make my heart sink a little bit. I'm like, what are we doing to our children here? Are we knocking the love of learning out? Because we, it's all, you know, it's all business. And yeah. what age does that business take over? And, and maybe that's what happens. Is that stats destroys that. There's something in that that all of a sudden that you, you the kids have what basically it's all about stats, all about stats. Yeah. And I know this myself, and this is interesting. I know how that feels because I have the eleven plus. I'm an unusual person in living in England. But anybody from my age and from the north of Ireland would probably back me up on this. But a lot of primary schools were geared up for 11 plus. Now I went to a little country school that wasn't. And I noticed the difference to you, a lot of my friends at that age. They were, they were still, yeah, they were, they were studying for this 11 plus. My school wasn't as bothered. We were more about nature walks and going, finding out what a glacier was and what drumlins were, tie dyeing and, and, and you know making collages. And I think, actually, think I owe my primary school probably who and what I am now. Because they didn't, they resisted the urge to um, get into the exam culture. But the thing was, a lot of my friends, when they went to the grammar school, I went to the secondary school, you see, because we had the two tier system, um, they were like, oh, I'm so much more intelligent than you because I'm in the grammar school. Mm-hmm. My parents overrid them, and that's something to worry about it. You know, it's only just an exam, you'll be all right, you'll get there in the end. And I did, because they overrid it. But a lot of my, a lot of my friends weren't like that. They, they, were, they started to believe that. It's yeah. a Carol Dweck thing, isn't yeah. it? Um, but the funny thing is, I noticed when I went to the grammar school when I was 16, and a lot of the boys were in the grammar school, because the boys' grammar school went to um, at 16 after my GCSEs, they were almost fed up because they'd had five years of pretty much hothouse, you know, you are you are the elite, you are grammar school kids, you are clever, and, and they were, you know, told that the kids in secondary school weren't as good. So when I went up to the grammar school as a secondary school kid, the first thing I thought I was going to be was out of my depth. I realised it wasn't. And then what I realised was that my attitude was a lot better than some of it being there because they had had 
five years of just basically being school for them was results, 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 yeah, results. Kind of more around education. Well, yeah, well, sometimes lack off. We honest <laughs> with you, it was more about, you know, more, we had a lot more laid back, I'll be honest yeah. with you. But what you said before, I mean, you picked up so much around school. Yeah. It wasn't just it wasn't just school that no. was to you. It was at home and outside of your friends. But my friends went to the secondary school, actually quite a lot of them, later on in life, have turned out to be more successful because they learned a lot more. And it's a bit like um, I think there was a really good um, which you get back on play, uh, on podcast and, and playback. Uh, I think Daisy was doing a good show about working class people, how they get educated themselves, yeah. not just through school. I think I referenced that before as that I was picking up education from the documentaries from my parents, from the environment around me. I was absorbing and learning from every aspect that I could get my hands on, not just waiting for the teacher in school to teach me. Mm -hmm. And I think this is the problem now is we are just waiting for what's the schools doing about my child. And I think yeah. we just I think we now put too much onus on the teacher, on the school, as if we're the only we 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 have a magic wand and by somehow we we schools are completely responsible for the child's progress. Mm. I think that's absolutely fallacy. I think that's wrong because that puts then the teacher under pressure. It puts the child under pressure. You think actually it should be a shared responsibility. The child's progress is is, is society's. You know, and, and I think why are children unhappy at school it might not just necessarily be school itself. I think it's the social construct of our country, yeah. the way we measure success, uh, the way that we set, we set society up on success and failure. The way that people aren't allowed to not do well because it seems seems somehow you know, there's winners and losers. And I think that's a very Anglo-Saxon model. Yeah. I think the American system's even worse. I think we're moving towards that. And we'll look at what we'll talk about later on. Yeah. Um, the the United Nations um, sort of well-being report, um, and that's a really deep dive on a OECD level yeah. of all the sort of developed or semi-developed countries in the world. Has the United States of America like second bottom? Ironically, with Japan, but I never thought Japan yeah. for well-being and welfare. But then remember what Japanese society is like—it's it's success or failure, yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah. They are so driven towards like education. It's binary, it's binary success. You have to succeed, yeah. and, and I think again, and you know, America is like that. I think we're f becoming more like that—the kind of like you've got to succeed at all costs, and the pressure yeah. and the stress. Yeah, it's like because business is coming into those countries. I mean, if you look at Japan and America. Maybe they're a bit more kind of corporate in terms of the way they do education. So therefore, that Darwinian business success or that social Darwinian, Darwinian. yeah, so, so, socially Darwinian, yeah. And then you've got your parents then who buy into that, and then Logic. and you get your parents turn around and in year seven says, "Where's my child's progress?" Mm -hmm. Whereas, and again, the opposite to what I asked that parent. Maybe that's the thing about at school is that we're now conditioned to go, "Is my child making progress? Is my child making progress?" Where is my child at a reading age? And you go. Yeah, but children are children. I developed later on in life. I got better as I got older. Yeah. But in a system that doesn't allow you to do that, how how is that making some children unhappy? I, I spent an after, uh, after school session with a young lad who I would say the problem is he was he he, could, he did well in the stats. And since then, he's been constantly told, you're underachieving. You're, yeah. off, you're off target. You're off target. And what that started to do to him is like, it's reinforced him like, I'm not going to bother. What's the point? I'm, I'm beaten now. Yeah, and I had to sort of like, you know, explain to him that this is a journey and you're still a bright young lad. He'd lost his mojo because he was he was locked into this kind of like, I am now doomed to failure. I'm way behind. Uh, what's the point in me trying any longer? So I might as well give up. I think a lot of our children are just becoming like that. They're just becoming unhappy in themselves because they don't value themselves because somebody's come along and said, there is a number. Yeah. That's the number you are. And and then it becomes the self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I think, right. and I think, 
unfortunately, league tables, exam culture, over-testing children, and, and the statistic is quite damning, is we have the most over-exam on children in Western Europe. And by most of the statistics, as that proves, we've got some of the worst unhappy children in, in Western Europe. So we're going to carry on after the news with this look at uh, happiness in schools, and we're going to take a, a look at what's happening around the world, particularly the Netherlands. Uh, I think it's really interesting kind of case to kind of look at. Um, so please uh, tweet us. Now we've kind of reconfigured the platform um, for resharing on Twitter. Um, so if you kind of look on Twitter, listen to the show, uh, comment in, write a tweet, get, get in contact with us today. It'd be great to hear your views on happiness in schools. We'll be back in a short while after today's news. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Cambrian News reports on Sport Wales' survey of school sport and its findings from 2022. The results showed that 39% of pupils took part in organised sport outside of the curriculum, a decrease of 9% since 2018 with a further 36% of pupils reporting no frequent participation in an organised sport outside of the curriculum, an increase of 8%, making the nation less active than in 2018. The report also highlights issues with schools having appropriate equipment to make sport provision more inclusive, as well as concerns around a growing wealth divide. There is a 15% difference in participation in organised sport outside of the curriculum between the least and most deprived areas. The gap has increased since 2018. Football remains the most popular sport participated in at a community setting. In schools, there has also been a decline in the number of minutes of curriculum PE per week, with primary schools providing an average of 93 minutes, down from 99 minutes in 2018, and secondary schools providing around 93 minutes, down from 95 in 2018. The decrease in wider participation is attributed to the pandemic, but funding, adequate training and reliance on volunteers also has an impact. Full details of the survey can be found on the Sport Wales website. The impact a teacher can have on the lives of students has been a topic across radio and television media outlets after the Princess of Wales was pictured hugging her former history teacher. The pair met up after a 25-year gap during a visit to the National Maritime Museum in Cornwall, with the princess reportedly telling her old teacher, the things you taught me, I now teach to my children. Former teacher Mr Embry described the princess as exuberant and just like she was. He also referred to her as conscientious and considerate while she was a student. The pleasure at seeing her former teacher and the time spent chatting were captured in many photographs and resulted in plenty of further discussion on teachers who were remembered fondly for playing a role in the lives of their pupils. Strikes, teacher pain, conditions and previous comments made by Education Secretary Gillian Keegan continue to dominate the news. 
ITV News reports that Ms Keegan has defended her claim that teachers are among the best off financially, when you consider the whole package. She told ITV News that benefits outside of the basic salary made it hard to compare their jobs with those in the private sector. In the interview, Ms Keegan made comments about possible plans to toughen up the law to force teachers to inform school leaders if they plan to strike and insisted that she would not budge from her position of rejecting above inflation pay rises. Ms Keegan also talked of plans to change the university application system UCAS to include apprenticeships alongside traditional degrees and to promote different career paths. The interview was part of a two-day visit to the North West with ITV having exclusive access to Ms Keegan. Full details of the story and more of the Education Secretary's views on strikes, pay and the views she has on education can be found on the ITV News website. The United Nations appears to have weighed into the debate on religious schools in Ireland. On the National Secular Society website, the group suggests that the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child, UNCRC, has urged the Republic of Ireland to guarantee the right of all children to practice freely their religion or belief, by no longer allowing exemptions to ensure a child's right to education on religious or ethos grounds. Most primary schools in Ireland are run by churches and 90% are Catholic schools. Over half of secondary schools are linked to a particular religious denomination, although there are 150 multi-denominational schools in the country. The UNCRC also called on Ireland to strengthen measures to eliminate discrimination against LGBTQ children, as well as children of minority faith or non-faith backgrounds. The issue has raised its head again after reports by the Irish Department for Education were submitted to the UNCRC to highlight progress following previous recommendations. Finally, BBC News features a long read article about the BAFTA-nominated film Blue Jean and the lesbian teachers who inspired it. The plot follows a lesbian PE teacher in the late 1980s, at a time when a controversial law banned the promotion of homosexuality via Section 28. The legislation was in force until 2000 in Scotland and 2003 in England and Wales. The film was released on the 10th of February. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm taking a look at the AI-powered all-new Microsoft Bing search. Are we soon to be saying Bing it? instead of Google it. There's only one way to decide. Let's have a search engine scrap. First, to use Bing, it's recommended you have the Edge browser installed. However, you can just go to bing.com. To get the full experience, I'm signing into my Microsoft account on bing.com in the Edge browser and signing into my Google account on google.co.uk in Chrome. Putting both interfaces side by side, they look the same, only Google has no distractions. Today, that is, as sometimes there's a Google Doodle to celebrate something. Bing has a block of top news stories, and you can scroll down to see more headlines and ads. This, I feel, is a negative for Bing, as it's really easy to be distracted. Click something that catches your eye, and searching turns to procrastinating. Other slight differences are Bing search results when clicked, open in a new tab, Google's don't. This is not a problem on your computer, but tabs are different on your phone, and it could be a little annoying having to close them if you doing an extensive search. On the flip side, it could be useful if comparing prices, etc. The decision is for you to make. I know what you're thinking. Test the AI, Steve. Okay, I'm on it. As Bing now wants to chat with me, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people. What should I cook? In Google, I simply type, 
barbecue five people. The results differ. Bing gives me 165 million results, top being planning a large barbecue cookout for a crowd. It was a decent read and ranged from cooking for 60 to 100 people to five to six. I'm now quite hungry. Google gave me a string of barbecues to buy, adverts, and then the first result was on the barbecue calculator. This was right up my geek street and I think Google won this round. You put the number of people in and then put the number of kids in and select some other options and it tells you what you need to buy to have a barbecue for that many people. Genius. Omni was third down in the Bing search. Only very slightly is Google winning at the moment. I like that Bing didn't hit me with ads straight away. I thought Google suggested searches, the people also asked bit, was neater and easier to scan than Bing's. Bing's was a bit wordy. With Google slightly in the lead, Let's do my last test. I'm going to introduce some vegans. Now on my search in Bing, I type, I'm having a barbecue for five people. Two are vegan. What should I cook? In Google, I simply type barbecue, five people, two vegan. Bing brings me 176 million results and Google a mere 109 million. Both show pretty much exact results, apart from the advertising from Google. Same top sites and no sign of meat anywhere. I'm inundated with vegan recipes for barbecue. Scrolling down, AI wins. The sixth result on Bing is 20 tips for hosting a vegan guest to dinner. By the time I get to page four of Google's results, I've given up. To draw a conclusion, it's down to personal preference. Bing uses the same search algorithms and the AI is new, so it's still learning. The question is really, what will it be like in the future when it's had time to learn more? Don't forget to tell us what you would do if a vegan was coming to your barbecue. Get in touch at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. So a question for you now, um, if you had to do a cover lesson, what would your favourite cover lesson be? Um, I think it'd have to be either kind of in the expressive arts or PE. PE, so yeah, I actually, when I do a cover lesson, the PE department give me a heads up. Because uh, I, I, I didn't take my full kit in. <laughs> and uh, the kids the kids grow and they see me come and go, oh no, it's Poland. Poland's taking this for PE. There's half half of them are like, yes, proper game. And the other half the other half are like, oh no. You're talking sock ties, shoe pad ties, the four, yeah. the four work. Yeah, I go around that PE department and then there's like there's there's signal cultural. It's nothing wrong with you, nothing wrong with you. Get your kid on, get your kid on, there's the spirit kit. And I, I, I go old school on them. But I actually like participating with. So if I do the do the cross country, the kids I do the cross country with the kids, or I'll you know do the referee, and of course I might sneak in. It's the older kids like the year eleven, so I might sneak in a, a little bit of a game with them, you know. Um, and again, I enjoy that, and, and it refers refers back to the game when I was in school. I used to love my PE lessons, uh, although our PE lessons were very geared towards Gaelic sports, um, hurling and Gaelic football. Um, we, our PE teachers were, were top athletes and again we were encouraged to uh, you know participate really heavily and I used to look at my timetable and, and see PE was there and I just absolutely enjoy it um, and was a priority but that reminds me of Kes Kes no Joyce Downhill this way. Badge it your inside right. Come on. Yeah, I'll get you. How are you today, sir? Liverpool? 
Don't be slow. Don't worry, colours. Manchester United strikers. They're playing in this one against Spears. striker. No, Charlton today, lad. All over the field. Do go for striker. Of course, uh, Charlton's not as quick on turning the law, is he? Are you trying to tell me about football? No, I'm, I'm just telling you. Are you trying to tell me? No, sir. Anyway, Dennis Moore's in the wash this week. Who's in the goal? Right, and it's Manchester United versus Spurs in this important fifth round cup tie here at Old Trafford. And it's the fair-haired, slightly balding Charlton to kick off. With the quote for me, though, is, is Dennis Law in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> and he had the full kit on. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that's the late great Brian Glover and Ken Loach's classic 1968. Ken is uh, a staple of any English department for well, a lot of years ago, but some English departments still use it. Social commentary of that was again, you know, set in a in a situation where some children were written off, weren't they? And, and the people, why I like that is that people go on to the past and go, wasn't school so much better and happier in those halcyon days? No, school's always school. I mean, the Socrates quote about the kids these days. I mean, school is always tricky for for some people. Some people have always had a good relationship with schools and learning. And some people have difficult relationship with schools and learning. And I think that's still the same now. Yeah. There are some children who actually are honest with me and say that they enjoy coming to school more than they enjoy being at home. And again, during the COVID pandemic, you, you know, one of the reasons we kept our doors open was we kept our doors open to vulnerable children and, and, and people who needed the school to look after those children. And, and, and I, I will not, I have to be careful what I say because I get a bit emotional about it. Some, some of our children actually feel more at home in school than they feel in their homes. That's right, yeah. And, and we, we work really hard to, I think, override some of society's issues to such an extent now that schools are now called sometimes the, the, you know, the, the fourth emergency service. And, and again, as society malfunctions and becomes dysfunctional, schools have had to step up and step in. Uh, and, and that's something we don't mind doing because we know that some young people are terribly unhappy outside school. And equally, you know, we want to make schools a place where they can feel safe um, and they can learn and thrive. So it is always quite disconcerting when you see the statistics on bullying, you see the statistics on, on school safety, on, on, on how children's perception of school is. But the fact is, we have the most overcrowded schools in Western Europe. We've had funding cuts. We've had staff shortages. We've had TAs who are now working in, in supermarkets instead of you know working with, with SEN kids. We've got a crisis in SEN education. We've got a crisis in mental health and young people. Even exam systems broken, that examines the children at the wrong ages for the wrong reasons. And it's leading to, not because of our design, it's leading to a toxic education system that in many ways, as much as that's humorous, what was happening there with Brian Glover's character, um, the PE teacher of Cabo Book, poor Billy Casper. And the whole thing about that is poor Billy Casper, obviously, is you know, he, he's last pick, isn't he? Mm. And there was always, when we were at school, there was always that kid who was yeah. last pick, he didn't want to be last pick. Um, and of course, if you, if you ask the Billy Casper character there, you know, did he enjoy his PE lessons? He probably did not, not enjoy it, but he wasn't going to get it as much as uh, some of the other boys who were the top picks. Mm. But maybe Billy Casper got something else in school, and that was the thing he got. You know, he, he 
you got to enjoy his Kestrel and his learning was outside school. So it's always tricky, isn't it, when you look back and think school's always and always will be a place that divides and there will always be people who will have a great education. But there are, there are also places, there are also safe havens for different different yeah. groups, aren't they? Um, you know, we have a fantastic opportunity for students you know, after school in the library that do kind of spoken word and um, all kind of the historic, but kind of avant-garde kind of music as well in, in some cases. So there, there, there are those places, there are those little groups that do get together. And I guess it's up to the staff and the school really to find those groups and put on different activities for them. So yeah. you do have a, a blend of uh, curriculum. But I guess most people remember the things that you kind of shoved all in together. And the PE, uh, particularly for boys, thing. I mean, I, I, I can only speak from uh, the boys' perspective, really, because that's the experience I've had. Um, but it was very much, you kind of all just lumped in a pot, um, especially kind of when we had to play rugby. We didn't play a lot of football, actually, bizarrely. We were just, it, was, it was virtually all rugby. Um, and there was definitely pupils there that really didn't want to play rugby and they had to be kind of coerced into it so they just had an absolute torrid time. I remember thinking this poor lad sometimes thinking oh my god he's just going to get absolutely flattened again and um, the teacher at the time kind of almost thought it was a, a rite of passage for somebody to get kind of trampled on <laughs> and you could see after a bit he started doing the thing of oh, I forgot my kids yeah, I've, I, you know, I've checked yeah. out. Um, but the the really horrible thing that we had then was the um, there was like a bin in the corner of the P um, change room where the old kit had been left from previous lessons. Oh no! So you had to be, so you had to go and find a no. pair of shorts at the top. So it's even more kind of it's more it's oh, worse. It just got worse. Smell of oh, steel P. So it just got worse and worse and worse for those children who were trying to kind of opt out. Um, but you know, it's, it's really, I mean, sport particularly is kind of a very challenging thing to, to force everyone into. It is. Um, I've often thought about PE in particular. I mean, maybe someone accounts this, uh, maybe there's PE stuff out there. Why can't they just do general fitness? Why, why, do they, why do they have to do a sport? Oh, no, no, we've got, I've got a fitness week not okay. far away from me. And, and, and yeah, a fitness week, what I'm oh, saying is just a, just a general, you know, like how they have in, um, again, I've seen anecdotally on YouTube stuff, these like, in in China and Japan, they yeah. have these huge um, outdoor kind of exercise. Um, but you group, see, group. here's the problem: some schools do, some schools don't. Yeah. Because some schools have got good facilities, sports facilities. You know, some schools don't have. Yeah. And that's the that's the post school lottery of your old school gyms, the school gym that your parents were playing and your grandparents were playing in. In our case, it's I think we're down to great grandparents now. Our school gym is yeah. probably entertained. You know, those ropes are probably old, probably <laughs> the scale by Well, it is getting to that stage uh, where we don't have the investment in, in sporting facilities. There was meant to be a great boom from the Olympic generation. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's followed through. And again, if a child is good at a sport, it's because their parents have the cultural capital to take them to one of those clubs and societies yeah. outside school. Yeah, and there lies the problem is there's such a natural wastage. And the same goes for arts and drama and music. Because again, I'd say to myself, what was the subject at school I enjoyed the most? I really, absolutely loved my art. Yeah. And, and again, I, I try and think about what it was. It was the relaxed nature of the lessons. It was the teacher who taught them. It was the free expression. It's the fact that the guy just allowed me to go off and create something ridiculous, like an ashtray that turned out to be something weird and I give to my parents and then my parents don't go some of my art. <laughs> um, somewhere up in the loft, probably. 
I love some one of one of the pieces of artwork is my classroom, which I regularly refer to. It's a big, giant, ugly head I called Oscar. Um, I stuck that. I stick that in there to sometimes remind the children. Say that was me intrinsically motivated. I stayed behind after school and invested the time with my art teacher because I enjoyed learning. And that's the thing. Now I had a torrid time at all the times in school. Someone my size with a gun my my size and with opinions like me, who was clever enough like me, I get absolutely pummeled sometimes in secondary school. Bullied, absolutely. As it was back then, it was the physical stuff back then. So there were days I didn't want to go to school. There were days I was absolutely in the butterflies in my stomach knowing there was going to be a fight around the bike shed. Because our generation was physical, wasn't it? Our generation was. And that brings me to this thing about now with bullying, is that all the evidence shows that bullying is the worst thing for people not being school mm. and I'd say it's the same for, for adults if you said what's the worst part of your job and you said to people what's the worst aspect of the job is not being valued and I think the second thing I've connected that and all the evidence shows this the state of the nation 2022 children and young people well-being thing says get this and this is not rocket science in June 2022 most secondary school aged children and young people reported being motivated to learn were managed managing to concentrate in class felt safe at school enjoyed being at school and here's my caveat and felt that they belonged at school mm. and that's the important thing they felt they belonged they felt part of it they felt part of the community they felt they were wanted yeah. they felt as if they had a place there they felt that they belonged that they were valued and that completely vindicates the two years earlier the un report which says exactly the same thing and it says um most one of five children, not how uh, let's see what I'm being losing the track. Losing the train of thought. Uh, parental leave, no poor quality relationships. Bullying by peers remains a serious problem as a lasting negative impact on relationships have. Children who frequently bullied have a lower mean life satisfaction, and some countries at least one in ten parents report no family or friends they can count on to help their children with bullying. Um, more than one in five children live in poverty in many countries. The poorest children are at greater risk of depression, obesity, and low academic achievement. Children without books at home to help, without schoolwork, suffer academically. More time playing outside is linked to much higher levels of happiness, yeah. free time. But yet many children say that good play and leisure facilities are not available in their neighborhoods. So there is that situation there. Um, they were suggesting that children need to be involved in decision-making instead of them told what to do, they should have some advocacy. The children should be involved in um, decisions and they should have more elements of choice, but educated choices. And there it is as well, is that the children who succeed more feel that they're valued and see the value of themselves and feel that they belong mm -hmm. to the school. So the in. sense of belonging is, is kind of you are paramount, yeah. Well, you are wanted, you are respected, you are valued, you mean something yeah. and when i take that down to the lowest to that level why did i enjoy pe my pe teacher uh, mr michael Eden, my other pe teacher um with big what is it all iron player uh, i'll get his name in a minute but pete mr michael Eden, he, he you know he stayed behind after school and played football with us mm. you know for his own fitness he played football with us and he was like dirty oh my he would try everything to absolutely win um, and he would try everything that he could to try and get, get, get away from you um, and that's the thing but he stands out because again he gave up his time he gave up his time to value a bunch of lads 
to stay behind after school so we would enjoy a game of football. And he didn't have to do that. My art teacher did that. Mm. And he stands head above shoulders. My French teacher, yeah. She never showed much emotion, but she always had high standards and, and she was always driven and motivated. And she knew your name. That's the thing. It's the teachers that knew your name. It's the teachers that had the conversation with you in the corridor. It's the teachers that you could make a connection with. Um, again, at A-level, my, my politics teacher, who's an absolute legend, Art McDonald, and would sit down with you. How are you? How are you? Are you okay? Are you yeah. struggling? Yeah. How are you? Are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? It's that feeling that you have a connection. And I think a lot of our children at the moment are lost. They're lost in their family dynamics. They're lost in schools. They're lost in society. And it shows there are hundreds of thousands of children now who are not regularly attending school because they don't feel that school is somewhere where they belong. Yes. Or, so, so, so when do you, do you think there was a change? Do you think there was like a period of time when this tipped? Did something happen in schools to, you know, stop the teacher wanting to stay later? Was it when performance management kind of kicked in or? I think it's a couple of things here. I think it is. I think it's society. I think it's 24 seven society. You know, with parents who are working two or three jobs. So there's less time for the child. I think during the pandemic, we saw that some parents had time for their children and could actually connect with their children more. I'm not being judging, like judgy on that. But there are some children now that, I, as I say, I've got a young lad who says to me, I'm writing his reference, he says, you know me more better than I am. You know me better than my father knows me. Yeah. Now, what do I say to that young man? At least I'm providing, he's so, he's so aware. He goes, you've been a, you've been a positive male role model in me. Mm-hmm. But I've invested time in him. And I invested time in him because, because he, you know, I never, I always treated him right. And when he was losing his temper in the corridor, because he has some issues, don't get me wrong. You know, I would say, come into my room, sit down there, I'll make you a cup of tea. Yeah. You know, and, and now that's a thing. He, he comes to me and sits down and he, he, he gives back. It's a strategy. It's not a built-in strategy that he can come into my room at any stage, have a cup of tea and sit down with me. But again, that's the investment that I make in, in that child. I can't ask a question why not every member of staff or every colleague does that. Maybe they don't want to take that risk. Maybe they don't see it that way. Maybe they're busy, they're overloaded. But this is the thing. We are oversubscribed in schools. We are struggling to get to the complex needs. And I think children have more needs now than used to. Yeah. And I think there's more there's more requirement for us to meet those needs. And I think there's more bureaucracy to meet those needs. And I think actually we spend more time proving we meet those needs that actually meeting those needs. So is, is that coming across with greater understanding? I mean, is this one of the things, as we find out more about the process of learning, the science of learning, the, the, the science of, I mean, let's be honest, maybe children have a bit more investment in terms of people coming out of universities and in the psychiatry and the you know, in, in neurologically as well, understanding a lot more about children, yeah. that these needs are therefore being kind of pulled up. You mean, are we identifying the needs more? That's right, yeah. 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 So, so we're identifying more, but the, re- the resource to do something within the school hasn't been increased to match those identifications. I think that's true. I think children themselves, I think adults themselves are starting to identify, I mean, um, I was reading a report the other day about the number of adult diagnoses of ADHD, yeah. which now explains, you know, why, for instance, some people at school didn't do so well. Hmm. You know, they didn't do so well because they, they had certain... Billy Casper in that case, yeah. Billy Casper may have had a learning difficulty and therefore he was just assumed as a write-off, he was just assumed he wasn't clever. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then he went, and that's the beautiful thing with what that book does and what Ken Loach does brings to life and says, look, the value of that young man. But in society at that time, he was he was not measuring up to what they expected. He wasn't top of the class. He wasn't a big physical lad. He, you know, he, he wasn't big enough to go down the mines. He was just seen as as as, as worthless. Yeah, yeah. And 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 therefore now someone like Billy Casper would be pupil premium, wouldn't he? He would now come with a lot of labels. Yeah. But I don't know if those labels actually sometimes help someone like Billy. Well, Casper. well it's, 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 it doesn't help. Sometimes it's not really clear. Certainly from a professional point of view, what is it you're meant to be doing? Like there's obvious things. For example, if I'm going on a school trip and there's a child with free school meals, I organise a free school meal before they go on the trip. Tick tick. Okay, I, I can identify the need and make sure. Also, if they're people premium, they might not be able to afford to go on the trip, so therefore we might be able to kind of do something for it. Mm-hmm. Or certainly make me aware of that situation. But I'm not entirely sure some, sometimes that teachers generally are kind of really sure. They've got this great big data sheet in front of them. Mm-hmm. They've got all these le- all the letters there. Um, but as the lesson starts for your 50-minute block, what is it you're meant to be doing? What, what, what is it you're meant, okay. meant to be doing? You could be contradicting yourself because there are some children who, horrible stories about being singled out because they are people premium. Yeah. Oh, could all the children get the free school meals please right <laughs> yeah. on? I mean, th- that does happen. Yeah. And those children then are embarrassed. Yeah. They're embarrassed by their lack of, you know, they don't have the latest iPhone. And I read something about that, about parents will beg, steal, borrow, whatever they need to do to give their children the technology. Mm. So their child in the playground doesn't look as if that child is, 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 is economically disadvantaged. Yeah. And you see that in non-uniform days. I, can't stand on uniform days for that because that's one of the days you start to clearly see clearly see the distinct differences in in, 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 in poverty and that's happening a lot, a lot yeah, more yeah. where you know schools are running wraparound clubs schools are running you know uh, breakfast bars and everything else and you see i'll be honest with you you see the neglect mm. that some children have yeah and you see that and you say to yourself what am i meant to do and again during the pandemics and my colleagues we were delivering food parcels out to the community yeah and that's what really i have to be careful i don't lose my temper but that's where i i really really had problems with the current government because there were children out there during the pandemic whose parents were struggling they were struggling and, and they didn't want to get free school meals and i think and i'm a liverpool supporter and i have no problem saying this marcus rashford i tip my hat to you sir yeah. i tip my hat to you because I think from a working class lad that he was, in the background that he came, a single parent as well, from an ethnic minority, you know, he's made it big, he could very easily in his own little bubble go off and, 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 and show the bling off. But what a young man that, that turns around and says, the first thing he wants to do is to help others who are in the same situation. That's a recognition of, I got out of this, and maybe there are more out there, and there are so many more Marcus Rashfords out there who never made it, yeah, because they never got the chance. And that's what education should be about, is, is, is getting more of the Marcus Rashfords of this world to fulfil their potential. But sometimes by, by actually good intentions of, let's do extra pupil premium stuff, and schools have to show that, oh, the value of this money for pupil premium, you think, okay, these programmes are to be seen to be doing something. And really, I don't think it's going to matter all the time what schools can do because if you are, and I've had this situation where I can educate a child as much as possible, do the best job I can, and I send them back into a community, mm-hmm. and that community's got a sink, a state attitude. Yeah. Well, it's, you, it's, you know, yeah. what can I do? How, how can, what more can yeah, schools what, what, do? Yeah, what more can I do as What more can because, teachers do or schools do? Well, it'd be interesting to hear some of the stories from, you know, we, we talked about the, the, the strikes the, the last week, 
mm-hmm. and you know what what came out of that certainly listening to people out on strike was their complete exasperation really of what is it more you want me to do mm-hmm. I, I am one person I'm absolutely shattered um, the resource isn't there anymore uh, to, yeah. to, to support me Cams. Yeah, like, yeah, CAMS, all the systems that were... Try and ask a child to get a, a, a referral for CAMS. Yeah. Um, and this is, the, the, here's a letter of the Daily Telegraph where experts say children's mental health, including Catherine Roach, CEO of Place to Be, Dr. Adrian James, President of the Royal Car- College of Psychiatrists, you were mentioned about cousin carrots, call for mental health of children and young people to be prioritised after research revealed that one in six are now a probable mental health condition. The Secretary's urged Minister to be ambitious and devise a long-term plan for the well-being of our children and young people claiming that focus on early intervention will help relieve pressure on NHS and contribute positively to the economy. How is that not a priority? And, and the schools are a part of that. But what we're saying, saying is that children sometimes arrive to school unhappy and we will try our best to make those children happy. But half of our problem is actually starting with the school gate. Mm. And then, of course, you, you have a school which is trying to have school rules. And you see this sometimes where some children have needs and the schools trying to meet the needs of an ever-changing demographic and you see some schools there have strict rules and say right the way forward is is to be as strict as possible to treat every child as strictly as possible and and they have to conform and that works for quite a bulk amount of children Mm -hmm. but then there'll be some children who just don't fit into that category and you hear the horror stories often in the local newspapers you live the local newspaper in any part of the country and there'll be an angry parent criticizing the school about my child doesn't want to wear a uniform. My child's haircut is a problem. My child um, is sent home because they're wearing the wrong earrings. I mean, it's every week you lift a local newspaper and there will be an angry parent. Mm. And, and half the time I read it, I think, oh, come on, school compromise a little bit. But the other half the time I'm reading it going like, We're just, you're just bashing us. Yeah. I'm sorry, but come on, help us out here as a school. We, you can't just take it out on us. And I think sometimes just people think we're there to literally pander to their needs and wants and actually there has to be that relationship between all different factors that the nhs the school the parent the child you know all centered around the child's welfare and well-being and i think they're not does something like the uniform and school walls though does it give a sense of belonging correct yeah so so therefore identity it kind of of makes sense that you know that is part of making of making my child happy in school is uh, is to kind of go along with that but um you shared um i didn't know about this until last night and you, you're talking about a particularly vicious spite that oh. was shared on um on youtube oh, during gosh. the week with kind of um people in the community involved in it, parents and obviously a quite a vicious attack but obviously feeling safe you, you mentioned the overcrowdedness um because I've, I've definitely looked into this in my previous school where it was staff actually saying they didn't feel safe, but yeah. actually when you when you dived into it, it was really about crowding yeah. in certain places, the hot spots uh, around crowding. People that didn't make people feel safe. Um, the so corridors, the corridors, yeah, can so, be boisterous, yeah. busy. I mean, um, and you get the perception of young young people. I have no problem standing in a sea of young people like Moses part of the Red Sea. <laughs> I, I actually do that. Yeah. We're, we're getting high vis jackets to do that these days. And I said, they're wearing a high vis jacket because they're getting me coming. Um, but I have no problem. And literally, the other day, I had my hell's pans left and right, yeah. directed in the middle of it was like a traffic cop. And as the kids saw it was me, 
they just basically they they pay you. But not a lot of my colleagues would do that no. because they wouldn't put themselves in that situation. But yeah. I've got enough culture, I've got enough capital, enough news, enough experience, and enough history there in the school that have been so long there yeah. that I can do that. But there are a lot of my colleagues don't feel comfortable. There have been situations where there have been physical incidents and there have been people hurt, and that is because of lack of control, children getting voiced, getting carried away. Not malicious. It's just almost a yobbishness has got into some of our young people and I don't want to go down that route of filtering into like certain you know um, newspapers that you know things used to be let's get them all in national service I, I think we lost a bit of that during COVID and I think a society we are losing a little bit of manners respect old school teaching I mean I was really proud of my, my daughter's primary school but again in the COVID recovery period they sat down and they realised that some of the children at the dinner table in, in the in the lunch times weren't showing good manners. So they spent a couple of weeks, and they spent a couple of weeks literally saying, "This is how you cook you. This is knife and fork. This is how you do this. This is how you do that." Now I'm glad that that school did that because that helped us at home when my daughter was sitting at the dinner table. I was able to reinforce what the school was doing, and the school was able to reinforce what we were doing. Yeah. Now, if your child is sitting down at the dinner table, if your child is sitting down with a tray in front of the television and there's nobody there where do you go with that and that again i'm not being judgy on society we are where we are with a lot of children at the moment not having that contact or that stability or that routine and then they come into school and the first thing they get is schools are like old industrial factories yeah. bells and whistles and schedules and routines mm. and they're not used to that i must admit the kind of we haven't had we haven't had a school bell for a while anyway where i work but I remember one of the one of the first schools I worked in. It kind of really shook me. The bell. It was almost like very harsh. prison. It's, yeah, it, it, it's harsh. It's the speakers aren't great, so it kind of yes, it goes right through you, almost like kind of panic, doesn't it? And there lies the game. What some parents want their children to be in the Steiner school type of scenario, yeah. where they sit down and have an open classroom, and they have cushions, and they learn at their own pace. And are and this is why there's an explosion in the number of people homeschooling their children. Yeah. There has been, and again, some people keeping their kids off school because they don't feel safe. It's it's really it's a it's it's a changing environment, it's becoming a more aggressive environment. Schools, I can sense it. I can sense it becoming more toxic. I can sense that staff are more stressed. I can sense the kids are more stressed. I can sense the exams are more um, definite, more pressure. There's there's just more pressure in education now. And and the funny thing is, the irony is, just when we need it to be the opposite. Just when we need probably education to be that rescuer, it's now a place where, as you say, business models are applied. And we're running out of teachers, we're running out of people, teachers like myself, who invest so much in and say, well, why am I doing that? Yeah. When all they want me to do is get some exam results. Yeah. So you start to then play the system, don't you? Well, it's quietly quit it. Yeah. So, so I, I'm not disagreeing with some of my colleagues who have quietly quit, but they've stopped contributing in ways that they used to contribute because they're being pulled to pieces. Yeah. Because then again, they do something nice for a child and the parent throws it back in their face. The yeah. same parent who would praise you sometimes, mm. two or three days later, when things don't go their way, will throw you onto the bus. Yeah. How many complaints? I can tell you year on year as a union rep, I'm getting busier every year. Yeah. And the complaints are spurious, they're vindictive, they're nasty. And sometimes they are completely undermining the confidence of the teacher because mm. we're there to be criticised because people want to blame somebody. They go, oh, the child, my child's not doing well. It's the school's fault. Yeah. My child's not doing well. It's that teacher's fault. 
And we're it's a, it's becoming, I will be honest with you, it's becoming a toxic society. Yeah. A so, so, society. So, so do you think that's creating like almost like a feedback loop? The teacher feels unhappy, so therefore the lessons are unhappy, therefore the pupils are unhappy, therefore they're unhappy at home, parents complain if, around, around. If I again. showed you a hospital in the 1990s, I showed you an episode of casualty in the 1990s. Yes. And I showed you an episode of casualty now. Would I say that hospitals haven't had the same transformation where a lot some ME staff have to bouncers in the door because one they, they're being attacked? I think it's just I think it, to be honest with you, our schools are a reflection of the way our society is going. Mm-hmm. And and if we want to fix happiness and well-being in schools, we need to adopt what I think is the Dutch model, which brings yep. me on to the Dutch model. They seem to be the Going country Dutch. well they seem to be the country that, that have resolved a lot of their issues because it's not just about what happens in schools, it's what's happening all around. And what they suggest is is that um, one in five children um, live in poverty in the UK and as poverty increases education is going to be suffering more. So one of the reasons you need to help school out is to resolve the poverty issue, which means you need to get children out of poverty. So, in fact, that's a government problem. Government need to alleviate child poverty because child poverty is a massive amount of unhappiness because how can children be happy if they're not fed, they're not looked after, they're, not, they're living in a damp household, they don't have the books and facilities. And again, that's our problem is we have some unhappy children because the lives that they're being living are actually really, really tough for them. They're having to grow up very, very quick. And there is a generation of people out there that will turn around and go, oh, yeah, when I grew up, there was frost in the windows and things were tough. And they seem to think that our children are are weak these days. What they forget is, like me, I went home to a house, my mum was there. Yeah, yeah. I went home to a house. I grew up in poverty myself, but I was, as my, as my mum said, I, was, I we grew up working class, didn't mean we hadn't got to class because we had we had, we had the, the, the family around us. I had grandparents, 20 old cousins to play with, you know what I mean? I had people around me that cared. I had my local doctor, Dr. O'Tierney, yeah. it's the same doctor I had all through so my childhood. Consistency. There was consistency. The same teachers mm-hmm. I had, same art ah, teacher. So maybe it's, it's that another little gem that we found with happiness, consistency. Five, yeah. five years, same art teacher. Five years, same French mm-hmm. teacher. Five years, same, uh, three years, same geography teacher. I knew exactly where I was going, what I was doing, who was that. There, was, there wasn't this transient yeah. sort of lack of... So, so if you had a... Ch- you in, in some of these like, big multi-academy chains now, would there be... I mean, how, how often does a child, if a child comes from year seven to say year 13, and let's say they study geography, they could have had how many different geography teachers? Well, depending on how many supply teachers they get. Yes, that's it, yeah. So, so, so that, it's that consistency. So maybe that's interlinked with this as well. Yeah. Maybe just, maybe just literally just pulled upon a thread there that um, the, the amount of supply teachers, the amount of people leaving, the inconsistency of staff, um, is um, yeah, is causing is, is linked to that unhappiness. So according to the World Parent Survival Guide, and this was based on the Alexis. Yeah, well, that, I could do I could do that. Well, yeah, <laughs> uh, and this is the, the feedback from that from that UN survey. Yeah. It said that um, socioeconomic factors are important in influencing children's happiness. If a child's certain needs are met, it is more likely in an affluent country there's a greater chance of achieving happiness. This is a Maslow hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Tell me that it's not exactly what's just is common sense we know this she also said that assertive parenting style which set style which sets clear boundaries with lots of love and warmth has consistently shown to correlate with positive outcomes for children it's the same as schools if you are punishing children you're punishing them because you love them 
a punishment. And again, it's how you handle that. Yeah. If I'm turning around and saying to a child, I don't want to give you this sign sheet. I think the world of you, but there has to be consequences. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I've had that recently with a child where I had to punish them. A parent emailed in for and said, why have you punished the child? I told them. And they went, thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for following through with that. Took spoke to the child the day afterwards, says, I had to give you that punishment. You broke the IT responsible policy. Don't want to do it, but at the end of the day, you've done wrong. I followed through. Relationships were repaired yeah. because I have done my job, but I've done it with a kindness, and I've done it by explaining to all parties why I've done that. But imagine I got the, the kickback of my child is my child, my child is, because then you'd go, I'm sorry. So it's an, it's an essence of you have to work with people. And yes, you have to be assertive. You've got to hold the line. But at the same time, you have to be supported. And this is another thing. I don't think people get supported a lot. So in addition, she also said it really damaged the children if they don't have that positive relationship. And, the Dutch, and here's the interesting thing. The Dutch have a reputation for being open to talking about topics that might be considered uncomfortable for other countries to discuss. Mm -hmm. So body image, sex, the drugs, they are the Dutch are quite famous for having that very yeah, liberal attitude, yeah, aren't they? Yeah. And, and being open and honest about things. And, and again, this seems to filter through to children's but this, happiness. But this is cultural, isn't it? This is not just in the school. Exactly. It's a cultural, because you well, said, Schools reflect the culture. Yeah, because if we had those conversations, uh, the teachers wary of having those conversations, because as you said, there might be a backlash from parents of that having that level of conversation yeah, so United therefore, States. that's the link of culture <laughs> into the school here. The United States is the most wealthiest country in the world. Mm. Where do they come? Bottom probably. Yeah, the bottom. Yeah. Japanese pride themselves on their economic output and, um, and their education system when it comes to well-being, welfare and happiness. Yeah. They're about near yeah. the bottom. Yeah. What do I know about those societies? Britain is well near the bottom. We're 27 mm. Britain on the league table. The countries that seem to be up to top seem to be more about laid back, more easygoing, less stressed, more about the child, mm. less pressure, less boiler room, you know, less categorization, less exams, happier children. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, this is what we want. We want children to be, we want to break children and turn them into some sort of, you know, how do you call it, like hothouse. I often feel like the, the, the Belfort character out of them, was that the, the Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, they become economic units, don't well, they? Well, they, they're survivors. <laughs> I mean, they, they, what, are, what are we doing? We, we, we're making our children. That's Victorian. Yeah. I think it's Dickensian yeah. what we're doing. It's almost survival of the fittest now. We got through the education system. Well done, you. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You've somehow got yeah. your way through this system. And that's the problem. Is yeah, it? but it's amazing that how that hasn't changed. I mean, William Golding's Laura Pryor's was literally that, wasn't it? About how you survive that system. How do you survive that, that grouping? In order to combat these shortcomings, UNICEF urged high-income countries to consult children on how their life could be improved and ensure that policies boost their well-being are integrated. Mm. Well, you know, you've got your medical, you've got your, your your social, you've got your education, all connected together. Yeah. You've got all the services around that child, not waiting 18 months for a diagnosis of SDM mm. and then having no TA in the classroom because the TA is no longer there, because the TA hasn't had a pay rise since yeah. 2010. We have such a disconnected country. Yeah, which, which, which is crazy in a way. I mean, we're probably the only country that does have like a falling, well, has had, I know it's kind of falling apart now, but it has had a, 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 a public health service, a fully public health service. Don't know how many countries have that. So it'd be an ideal opportunity um, to tie in um, the NHS and schools, meaning they're both kind of under the, under the public. But this is the thing, there are countries that spend less money than us. Estonia. Yeah. 
Estonia spends less money higher up the rankings. Yeah. I mean, so this isn't about this is just about the money. This is about attitude. This yeah. is about values. Yeah. This is about this is about whether how we treat our children or how we how we want them to be yeah. and how we how we and it's excuse making. We have a patch up job of an education system, a, a social care system that's that's on its knees, mm. and all the money is being spent. But I think the priorities seem to be where the problem is. They don't think the culture is the culture yeah, is wrong. You're not you're not, you're not, you're not um, having a dent on culture at all. Well, again, I think it's yeah. I think I think it's I think it's Victorian. Yeah. I think it, you know in Victorian times they used to think that child labour was fully justifiable because if kids that would that would make them stronger. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we have we have that in today's politics, don't we? We have well, the kind of the the the, the, the hard right of the Conservative Party yeah. with its kind of woke agenda and. Uh, you know, do you think that anti wokeism is going to help these children? Well, children well, 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 calling children snowflakes and yeah. making calling them weak. Yeah, that's th- what these people are doing. Is they're taking us back to the Billy Casper days. Right. They're taking us back to well, they have every PE teacher like 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 Brian Glover there, yeah. and, and every child like Billy Casper then told you're not good enough. Ship, ship yourself up. I made it. You can make it too. You know, all you need is stiff upper lip. But, and, and this less I fair economics, this kind of like rugged individual. Mm. It's like the Wild West. And yeah. funny, it's, a lot of it's come from America. Yeah, yeah. Even this term snowflake has come from America yeah. as well. Kind of like, you know, you can be anything you want to be. You don't need help. Help yeah. yourself. Yeah. That's fine. That's great. And you've got all the advantages. Yeah, that's right. great. Yeah. Yeah. In, individualism works when everyone's got the same playing field. Yeah. Well, it works when you go to Eton. It works when yeah. you're a member of a certain group. But what the hell the evidence shows is that for a lot of our children, social mobility has just gone out the window. So it's this, all this is not all this is not by accident. We have engineered a society of have and have nots, and our education system has some children thriving yeah. and some children who are disadvantaged. And schools trying their best. Parents sometimes trying their best. What's interesting about the Dutch model as well, and also some of the other countries, is they have non-competitive schooling. They value diversity and they value being inclusive. This kind of approach to parenting and schooling is important, as it said, it gives the children um, less pressure on the new encounters, both academically and socially, and in terms of social media. So growing up in a culture where everyone's unique gifts are celebrated and children feel like they can be who they want to be and not be judged is more likely to make friendships more positive, playground culture more positive, and help children's happiness levels. Yeah, and there's your sense of belonging, yeah. there's a sense of me, there's a sense of respected, there's a sense of I'm not useless, there's a sense of feeling as if I'm happy in myself. What else are we trying to do there? I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. I've, I, I've had that conversation this week with children, year 11, going into their mock exams, and I had two young, young, young ladies break down with me, two very, very driven and motivated young ladies. I can't ask them to do any more. And they basically, you know, where I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough, I have to get higher levels, I want to get into college. And I looked at the two of them, and my wife's training was a clinical psychologist, I looked at them straight in the face and said, you're good enough for me. Mm. But I'm going to let you down when you go into the exam hall and I fail. No, you won't. You won't. You won't let me down. You won't let me down. Don't think that way. Mm. The fact that you care, the fact that you work so hard, yeah, I'd like to get those grades. But you don't get those grades, you're not letting me hear yourself down. I have to gain instead of them. I've got average GCSEs. A lot of my friends who didn't do so well at certain levels of life have still succeeded because they have those rescuing factors. But what has created that child to feel that way when they've done everything right? Yeah. And it's not, again, the parents are wonderful parents. They're, they're, they're very supportive. There's no, no issues there. And the teacher is very supportive. But this is a cultural, societal thing that puts so much stock upon success 
down literally if they don't feel they can be successful, they don't feel worthy or valued. And that is yeah. where these countries that are doing it right when they have happier children. Um, it shows that 81% of teenagers in the Netherlands, age 15 year old, felt they were able to make friends easy, which is one of the highest rates among the 41 countries included. It also shows that 15 year olds in the country also had a high sense of belonging. Life satisfaction was found to be the greatest. So there it is. Yeah. Uh, and that's the evidence of 41 countries of the OECD plus some even the second major countries. Britain's ranked 27 yeah. out of 41. And yet British education system, you know, is, is the sixth wealthiest country in the world. Yeah. So it's not about the wealth, it's about the culture, it's about the ideology, it's about the priorities of education, it's about, you know, are our children happy children? We every parent wants their children to be happy. Yeah. Um, but are we prioritizing what we think can make our children happy, or are we already at a certain young age buying into what's going to make them happy is to be successful by being academically getting the top of the class or, or getting the exam grades. So it is that, you know, what, how do we define success? Okay, which leads us on quickly, just to just to finish off the show. Um, so rocking on from last night's uh, Brit Awards. So I thought that was really interesting because I, I followed Wet Leg for about 18 months. Um, I'm quite into kind of my um, underground indie and it was great to see. So they're banned from the Isle of Wight and I uh, picked it up because the song then goes on to repeat the line on the show's launch. Um, what I found interesting about those lyrics is a young group really kind of a social commentary on I've done the school thing, I've survived. Take the box, I've got the degree. Job done? Nope. I'm now on the show's launch. I'm now just I'm now just sat there. What is next? Um, and I think it's a thing that young people feel a lot. So and they'll be communicating that back down to the generation below as well. Um, so this could be also a reason why some students are feeling unhappy is you know, I've done, I, so, so I work hard, I do this what is the outcome so a third of young people according to daily telegraph say that think the university degree is a waste of time and anecdotally i know from i i'm largely a form tutor to six formers the amount of students signing up for apprenticeships particularly um has i've never seen so many people looking at the cost of university is going to be obviously a key factor with that um but often they're just thinking well actually is the degree just a complete waste of time? Does it give me what I need in life? Does it give me that kind of future that I want? I guess there's been our generation. There's probably uh, we were the Blair generation, probably where we yeah. kind of yeah the the, the, the force for fifty percent. I think there was no negotiation. Yeah, you, you had to you had to go to university. Yeah. It wasn't really a debate, really. I mean, you, know, you had to pretty much there was no, the only pathway was A level straight into a degree. And I, I don't remember actually anybody having a conversation. But your success was me measured by the university you went to, the type of degree you did. Yeah. I mean, I came from a very competitive society. I mean, I've got so many cousins and all of us, all of us, originally working class background, all yeah. on university, because there's no negotiation now. We were, we were pushed into it. 
I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but that was the that was the generational thing, and it did match obviously that labour government at that time with education, yeah. education, education. But also, it was the fact that the previous generation, like so my parents, never got that opportunity, mm. and and therefore there was a bit of guilt in that of like, well, you know, we're lucky. Yeah, we also door, showed the door, also, the door was half open for yeah, our generation, but you know? but also it showed their progress as well, didn't it? Mm. That they were kind of look at my parents, kind of. From working class backgrounds, yeah. um, gone. Through, they, they were kind of baby boomers. They'd had the support of the. They'd, they'd obviously kind of increased their aspiration yeah. through kind of property, uh, done very well for themselves, um, but obviously lacked the one thing that they didn't have, which was the degree, uh, which is the kind of stamp of acceptability. A lot of your colleagues, when I, you and I, be included, would a lot of your colleagues have come from that background? Because I look around my staff and I, and, I, and I see the majority yeah. were, you know, success stories of council estate kid or coal miner's daughter, um, you know, first generation migrants mm. from Indian subcontinent to Ireland to God knows, um, and, and literally working working down ex navy. I'm looking at a lot of my colleagues and this is the compatibility of my. Staff. Oh right, so no, no, I, yeah. I, I disagree with that. I, I think the majority of teachers I've kind of bumped into and worked with have come from a heritage of degrees and middle classes and sometimes I feel like a massive outlier Do you? Yeah, in the staff room of A, leaving school and not wanting to be a teacher. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't have that ambition after after leaving school or university. I only, only came into teaching you know, around kind of training development later on through industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do feel sometimes that when, when I hear some of my colleagues talk that they're, they're background is is alien to to what i've had so therefore um there's a singularity in terms of their their path and although they, they work very hard to match um children's needs but i'm sometimes worried they don't really fully understand um what it's like to be properly working class and you know yeah i suppose in my school the sense of belonging is it has got a lot of return pupils here and i staff members i have colleagues of mine who have taught and i've stayed there that long because i've got a sense of belonging and and there is an element of paying it back and that's why i think i'm biased when i say it but i think it's a wonderful school mm-hmm. for that reason that it does invest in the community and it does have that connection where a lot of the the ex-pupils themselves you know want to replicate and, and again i probably think i'm up to about double figures now the number of, of, of working class kids who've gone from me and then gone into be the geography or history teacher and then contacted me and said you know um some of the local schools now I'm, I'm looking at primary and secondary school children of people I've taught who themselves were versions of me just in a slightly different generation and I think and that's that's one of the things I look back and I think I've done it right I have done it right because I've at least felt as if I've kind of made a difference to a percentage of people that they have then seen the value of education that they want to pass that value of education on that they got mm-hmm. and it's, it's quite humbling when you get you know you get somebody who contacts you says I'm a teacher now because you helped inspire them to become a teacher yeah. you know, oh come on there's got to be other people along the way <laughs> I, I, I know I have one in particular he keeps all the time you know, like, you know you're the reason I became a teacher and I keep apologising going I'm really sorry about that you know I'm sorry yeah. but you know, but, but it's, it's it's a lovely compliment when you realise that there are people out there who, who you have gone into teaching but then that's, the, that's passing it on and because you know they are aspects of how they were taught, they obviously were happy about it, and it goes down to that intrinsic. And I hope that the lessons I teach and how much energy I put into my, my lessons, that there'll be children in 20 or 30 years' time will sit down and say, 
oh, you know, a Poland guy, I really enjoy his lessons. <laughs> and I hope I have made some children happy at school. But I do get the niggles sometimes that I think maybe it happens all the time because the pressure and the stress that I'm put under gets passed on to the children. Or that the way the education setups now is I want to try and make children as happy as possible at school, but it's not possible in the toxicity of the setup of the current situation. And I think that's where a lot of us are at at the moment. We, we love for our children to be as happy and productive and, and, and not have these exams, but we're in a system that seems to not listen. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be listening. And, and, and despite all this evidence, we've known this for quite a few years now. Um, but still, we still seek what? More exams, more Ofsted, more bureaucracy, more academization. I, I, I don't know how far it can go before the real, before the rot realizes. I think it is already starting to happen because we're seeing the, the outcomes of social, the, 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 as you say, on the shares long. Yeah, we have. Um, there's a there's a morning show today from ten a.m. talking about actually the government has backed away from from academization forcing. Yes, yeah, yeah forcing. True. Uh, now whether they change the culture around, it, I guess I'll still get because there's a lot of people in the pathway of. Yeah, there'll be there'll be some heads and some senior leaders and some governors and some boards that will already be kind of have been so focused down that yeah. kind of tunnel that it's going to take a while for it to stop. Uh, anyway, I have said that if the my daughter's school, if they even hint yeah. at academisation, I'll be first outside yeah. that school because 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 maybe maybe that's caused something happiness. Well, do you know when? I mean. I don't, <laughs> Labour's plan on academisation? Have you heard anything? Or? I, it, 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 the only thing we've heard so far is obviously they want to tax some private schools. Yeah, That's the yeah. extent so far we've seen, and we haven't seen most of the yeah. unions. Which brings us on, obviously, yeah. to to, um, to our next shows. So uh, we've had a couple of good, good ones, and recently mm -hmm. we've had Daniel on. Daniel um, is uh, going to be potentially yeah. the NAU. So you should, should have had your voting uh, slips through. So you've had your voting slips with Daniel in the evening. He was on um, Callum's show, Daniel was on our show. Uh, we've heard nothing yet about any negotiations in regards to the pay and strike, so that's gone in the back burner. That will probably be hitting the news again in the next week or so because the next wave of strikes will be happening. But we don't see much progress going on in there at the moment. And yes, I think over the next couple of months, education seems to be become more of a political football. But what is interesting about it is, is that this discussion we've had about children's happiness, welfare and well-being, mental health, it doesn't seem to be on the radar. There's no, no, there's no czar out yeah. there. There's no, there's nobody actually sitting from the hem sheet of like, let's get our unhappy children. And again, because I think it's the middle class, the voter thing of, what do these people want? Do they want their children to do well at school? Do they want their children to get good exam grades. I still think the political system's locked into this fleet tables and locked into this kind of business model of education. And I think until both the major parties get their head around. There are children are not a product and they cannot have data and offset. And I think until they start to realise the impact it's having, I don't think much will change. I think we'll just go keep them as we are. And six, six years, seven years down the line, we'll be saying, why are British children still the unhappiest children in Western Europe? I just I just think it's it's a bit of a tragedy that we've got all the resources there and we've got such such fantastic schools and such fantastic um sort of yeah, technology and even, I'll be honest with you, we've we've got such research out there. But I, I would just like school policies to be, for once, based upon some active research that actually puts the children at the centre. Yeah. And, and that is that. So today we've been sponsored by John Cat Education, who have helped us produce this programme. Uh, and John Cat is an absolutely fantastic producer of all education materials. 
Um, brilliant catalog for, 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 for them. I, I've had a look at recently at a couple of their, 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 um, their publications, in particular Toxic Schools, How to Avoid Them, How to Leave Them by Ross Morrison uh, and McGill and Helen, Wood, Helen, Helen Woodley. Um, it's a critical important piece of action research um, looking into the effect of working in toxic schools on teacher mental health and well-being. So let's talk about teacher happiness as well. And looks at four four examples um, and four four sort of strategies as well for coping with the schools that are toxic. We've also got our um, pretend schools section twenty eight, um, which I think is, is is really 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 important. We get our heads around again how the law used to discriminate against um, people of different sexuality. As much as we might think some things in schools are you know positive or negative, there are some massive changes that are positive in society and also in schools. And I think. Um, you know, the, the removal of Section 28 is a massive, you know, change. So progress can happen and progress sometimes can be forgotten about as well. But you find those on John Cat Education as a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines, specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. So if you're on half-term, have a little read of those. If you're on half-term next week, like me, um, weird, I know, um, have a look at John Cat. I think there's so many people, some people have broke up this week, haven't they? We need to kind of uh, work out how this has become so insane, too. Yeah, I know, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? But that's a John John Cat bookshop as well. Um, you can also, if you like what you see with us, um, join, come and join the collective, which is the Teacher Talk Radio family. You're, uh, we will transfuse you and the collective hive mind that is Teacher Talk Radio. So come and join us um, and have a go at, at delivering some of our absolutely fantastic shows. Uh, we've had Nick who's just recently joined us and he's going to be delivering his first Wednesday late show. Uh, we'll be doing that on the 22nd of February. And uh, like I say, good luck to Jeff Pavel who's leaving us as well. So we do have some people leaving us and, uh, and they've added their, their distinctiveness to us. And you can listen to those shows and those individuals um, through uh, Podbean and wherever you get your podcasts from as well. So um, we have a couple of other shows coming up as well with the morning review from Tom uh, HB that is, uh, Lucy and Nathan and Leanne and they were looking at school fights, that horrible school fight, the teaching assistant recruitment and they were looking at also academies this morning. We've got Maud who's on later on the Twilight Show and of course we've got the fake head teacher doing his briefing every morning. He's fantastic, he's absolutely fantastic. So. That's that's all from us this week. Um, I'd like to to thank Adam. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, all the contributors, and we we uh, I'd like to thank my PE teacher again, who uh, allowed me to um, not play a bully chocolate because we were able to play at Man United because there's no way we were able to play at Man United. But enjoy the rest of your Sunday. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.